Hey, podcast listeners, before we jump into today's fantastic conversation with Ann Voskamp, just a quick reminder that you've only got a few days left to get in on the launch of the Art of Leadership Academy. It's all of my premium content, a fantastic community, training for your team, and a whole lot more for just $297 if you act now. Pricing at this level expires March 31st. That's just a couple of days. So head on over to theartofleadershipacademy.com. You'll see all the instructions there. That's $100 off your membership. And I would love to greet you inside the Art of Leadership Academy. So go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. Get your membership this year for just $297. See you inside. And now to today's podcast. The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, it's Carrie here, and welcome to episode 485 of the podcast. And I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Really excited to bring you a conversation with someone who's become a good friend. Ann Voskamp is on the podcast. And uh, well, we talk about her path. A lot of you, you're online, you're blogging, you're Instagramming, you're YouTubing, and you're like, I don't really have a big following. And we talk about how Ann went from a blogger with about 800 page views a day to almost overnight becoming a New York Times bestselling author and now a four or perhaps by the time you hear this five times New York Times bestselling author. And uh, we also talk about how to communicate vulnerably without oversharing and a whole lot more. Today's episode is brought to you by Belay. You can get your free copy of their book, Delegate to Elevate, by texting the word carry to 55123 and by glue. Join more than 2,000 churches who are already using Glue to multiply their outreach efforts and get connected to the needs of your city by going to glue.us. So Ann Voskamp is the wife of a farmer. She is the mother of seven kids. They were almost all there the night that we recorded this. It was a part of her book launch as well. She's got a brand new book called Waymaker that she's been working on for a few years. She's the author of the New York Times bestsellers, The Broken Way, The Greatest Gift, Unwrapping the Greatest Gift, and the 26th New York Times bestseller, 1,000 Gifts, A Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are, which has sold more than a million and a half copies and been translated into more than 20 languages. We even talk about how she came up with the cover for that. I always love the backstory. And uh, yeah, so I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I love the making of. And uh, we also talk about the difference between how men write and women write and uh, what fame doesn't get people. So uh, enjoy this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, welcome. Uh, I know we get a lot of new listeners every month. This year so far has been an incredible, uh, well, we're just surprised at how many people keep listening to this podcast, sharing this podcast. Thank you for that. We know that uh, this is a really special opportunity that we have to connect on the podcast. And uh, if you would leave a rating and review, that would be great. We'd love to see that. Wherever you listen, just leave a rating and review. Tell us uh, what you enjoy about the podcast. 
share it with a friend. And if you do, we often reshare that stuff on social as well. I'm Kerry Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm on a lot of other channels as well. We're also on YouTube, and I don't have video for this because, well, we shot it in the stone church that she and her husband Daryl bought, and it was just me and the portable gear that day. Hey, question for you. Are you looking to increase your impact and serve people in your city, Glue is a new kind of outreach platform designed to help your church reach people in your city, and this is the best part, who don't typically go to church. And you can do it in a way that saves you time, activates your team, increases your impact. And it's kind of like having a full-time outreach staff person without hiring a single person. More than 2,000 churches are already using Glue, that's spelled G-L-O-O, to reach people in their city. So here's how it works. Glue and some kingdom-minded partners run ongoing campaigns on social, on topics like relationships, marriage, loneliness, faith, anxiety, and a lot of others. And they also use radio and TV. People encounter a message of hope and are invited to connect. Once they ask to connect with the church, people get introduced to your church so you can do what you do best. And don't worry about managing a lot of extra work. Connections are made right inside Glue, and that makes it easy to get in touch with them, they even got a messaging app that will help you do it. So if you want to get started, go to glue.us. That's G-L-O-O.us for a limited time. No credit card required. Takes less than 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to glue.us and join over 2,000 churches nationwide, supercharging their online outreach using Glue. And let's also talk about time. We talked about that already, but how 24 hours in the day never seem to be enough to get everything done. As a church leader for a growing church, you probably eventually realize you can't do everything on your own, at least not well anyway. That was a slow lesson for me as a leader. But your job is probably best as a visionary, and then how do you delegate? Well, our friends at Belay, the incredible organization revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers for growing churches, know the demands on church leaders and business leaders all too well. Their first client was a pastor. They continue to serve them every day for the last 10 years. So if you're ready to start delegating, Belay is offering their latest book, Delegate to Elevate for free. You're going to learn something and you can learn more about how to get things done. You can learn to reclaim time to focus on that which only you can do by delegating to unleash the powerful multiplying impact of entrusting others. So to get your free copy of their book, simply text the word CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. In no time, you'll be back to doing only what you can do. That's just the word CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. And now, my conversation with Anne Voskamp. Anne, this has been a long time coming. I, I think I first raised the question of you being on my podcast maybe four years ago, five years ago. Has it really been that have long? Have we known each other five years? I think we have. We did an event in New Jersey, I think in 2017. So that would be oh, right. five and we years met, ago. Is that the one where we, we, I think you are the very first person that took me into an airport lounge. <laughs> I did that. That's right. I had back. never been in an airport lounge. And you said, hey, well, we're waiting. Come on into the lounge. And I was like, wow, there's a whole new world. Did, did I ruin you? No, or are no. Are you enjoying You're right, lounges that- now? I really don't go into lounges. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't travel but together. It was it was uh, really really great. And then, but then where do we connect after that, Carrie? Uh, Ark, and then you right. ended up coming to a conference I hosted. Yes. You invited us for dinner, yes. and Tony and I became friends with you and Daryl. Yes. And we've been back and forth for four or five years. But oh. this time, we turned on the mics. 
We turn on the mics, and we are sitting in the little stone church that you, Mr. Newhoff, are on the board of directors for. Correct. So we are so grateful for your leadership and guidance and friendship, Carrie. It's beautiful what you've done. Yeah. You're in this little town, Listowel, Ontario, mm-hmm. a former Anglican church mm-hmm. that you and Daryl purchased mm-hmm. after it closed, mm-hmm. and you have big plans for it. Maybe we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm really glad this day has come. I would like to go back a long time mm-hmm. before you wrote your first book, mm-hmm. A Thousand Gifts, mm-hmm. and you live 15 minutes from this little church. Mm-hmm. Tony and I have been to your farm. Mm-hmm. What was life like for you? What was stirring in your heart? What were your thoughts about how your life might go or what you might do before any of this happened? Mm, such a good question, Carrie. Um I'll step back just a tad even before that. Yeah. I was um I was a student at York University in ah. a concurrent program studying um child psychology and education. <laughs> My plan I thought the Lord wanted me to be a school teacher, but I was really interested the whole time though in York, what what years? Oh gosh, I was not, not to in, date things. No, I was ni- I was married in nineteen ninety four. Okay. So nineteen ninety uh two, ninety three, ninety four. Oh, we just passed. I finished Osgood in ninety one. Oh well you were yeah, Osgood Hall. Um, there, Osgood you Hall right? there you go. There you go. So um, we, we missed each other by a year. Crazy, Carrie. I did not know that. You did in not all know of our that. conversations. Wow. I didn't know that we missed yes. each other. So by a year. I was at York uh, University and I was really interested in curriculum development. Yeah. Which is marrying kind of child psychology, how does a child's brain work with my educational interests. So um, then Daryl and I got married at the end of my second year. I was expecting Caleb um, as I began my third year. Uh-huh. Um, and so I took a year of absence from York, um, came home and had Caleb. And then when I had Caleb, I, I couldn't leave Caleb. So I um, transferred from York University over to the University of Waterloo uh, to continue um my just a general BA in psychology and took that distance education. So I was, I had a baby strapped to my back. <laughs> well, I was out. Uh, we bought the first hundred acres and had, um, we were in the middle of renovating a fair to finish operation over to just a fairing, just a, a birthing of little baby piglets. So we're in the middle of renovation. What, what, what is that term? I'm not familiar yeah, with sorry. that term. So farrowing means finish. So birthing right straight through to when the hog is finished. Okay. And we move that over from a farrow to finish operation to just a birthing operation. So we just have little baby piglets at our farm. So we have 650 sows and we always have a thousand baby piglets who leave our farm when they're 21 days of age. So oh. we just deal in baby piglets. That's all we did. But we were in the middle of renovating an older barn over to do that. While we were still, well, we were still in process. It's not like we were shutting down an operation to do that. Uh-huh. So while we were still working, so we would work in the barn, taking care of animals till six o'clock at night, then switch over to renovating till two in the morning. <laughs> a little baby on my at the same time. Do you remember back in the day, Carrie, when you could put tapes into a Sony Walkman? Oh yeah, listen? totally. Yeah. So my distance education courses would come in the mail from the University of Waterloo. I would pop the little the. The cassette. T- cassette in, and I would be listening to that. So I was taking courses at the university with a baby on my back while we were renovating and trying to still run a farm in the midst of it. So they were very, Joe and I worked easily in the barn 18 hour, 20 hour days. They were very, very. He's still long. like, that's a very yeah. active farm. Yeah. When people read yes. your books and go, the farmer, you're like, no, oh, three cows and a chicken. No, no it's an operation. No. Yeah. So right now um, we run 900 acres. Um, corn, wheat, and soybeans in rotation, and still 
are a thousand baby piglets every month. A thousand baby piglets. Wow. Liz Curtis Higgs says, you shouldn't have written a book called A Thousand Gifts. You should have written a book called A Thousand Baby Piglets. So, <laughs> um, so life was life was farming. And that's yeah. what I thought it was going to look like. By the time I got to my 30th birthday, Carrie, we would have had... Um, I think we had five kids by the time by I got then. to by the time I got yeah. to my 30th birthday. And I kind of had a bit of a crisis in terms of like what am I doing with my life? Mm. I was starting to homeschool, but I had this I was restless in lots of ways. I wanted to sell the farm and I wanted to go somewhere in Africa and become a missionary. I wanted to mm. go and do and what I started to do was really I started to write in what I call the fringe hours, really early in the morning, hmm. really late at night. I think everyone has a dream in their heart, finds the fringe hours and yeah. finds like, where do, where can I cram this dream in on the corners? And for me, it really was about, I said it was all the time, it was storing up from the summer of my life, from the winter of my life. I was washing dishes doing the laundry, homeschooling kids, and you would do the same thing again tomorrow. And I felt like my life was like water through my fingers all of the time. Hmm. Um, but when you started to write the stories, those were something that I could store up. So every day oh. after the kids went to bed, I would just go ahead and, uh, I mean, I write a blog post, but Carrie, I had, there were no comments. I wasn't, it was like an online journal for me as all it okay. really was. Um, so I was just writing down how I saw the hands of God move. And it, it started to awaken me hmm. to, to the grace and goodness and the kindness of the Lord right here. So I didn't have um I didn't have any big plans per se. Yeah, yeah. That's or, why I'm always interested in origin stories because this wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna write a bunch of New York Times bestsellers. In any capacity. I didn't so. I didn't write a book proposal. I didn't go looking for an agent. I, none of that. It happened in any capacity at any point. So so you started a website. Yeah. I just, I, actually, uh, someone had mentioned to me what a blog was. <laughs> and this would have been, well, Shalom is 16. Oh, my goodness. So uh. this has to be Malachi is 19. This is like 17, 18 years ago. Okay. So 17, 18 years ago, yeah. blogging had just sort of just started. begun. I was washing dishes at the kitchen sink, and I uh-huh. thought... You know, I could just go ahead and have an online journal that you could search. Like you could, mm-hmm. that's, I just wanted a searchable data of all my journal entries. So I was standing at the kitchen saying, I thought, oh, you could start a blog like a holy experience. Everything you're doing, you're encountering God. And I sat down at blogspot.com. And, <laughs> I remember oh, blogspot. Right? With yeah. a little orange little uh-huh. logo up there uh-huh. and, and started a blog. And I just started every day after I put the kids all to bed and the house was cleaned up and everything was quiet. I would sit down and just write a journal entry. That's all wow. I was doing, Carrie. And publishing it. Yeah. No comments. No comments, no networking, no social media. So you have no idea whether anyone's reading this? Not at all. Okay. I never checked analytics in any... I wasn't in You it. still don't. I still... <laughs> I, I know. I told I you your book is number one, no, and you're like, I, still, I, I don't check, know. <laughs> I don't check analytics on anything, which I'm not wish, saying that that's wise no, stewardship. It's Maybe it's not. But for me personally, I think there are people that their call is to go ahead and look at numbers, and you should have somebody on your team that's looking at numbers. Well, I'm but a bit I, addicted. But I... I... That... I'm just something. That's not me. Good for you. That's just not so, me. So, so you're writing this journal. Yeah. You don't get book contracts just by writing a journal. Oh, there must have been something that happened. Yeah. You're doing this. You, so your first book comes out. A thousand gifts was twenty. Uh, so one thousand gifts comes out 1, in two thousand. In um, is that right, Carrie? Two thousand and eleven. Eleven. Okay. Two thousand eleven. Yep. So that's eleven years ago. So for about five years, you're writing this. Yeah. 
exactly. Blog. Yeah. Okay. And then and then what happens? There had to be yeah. a tipping so point. So I um I'm just journaling every day. I don't know who's reading. There right. are no comments, so no one can leave any. So it's really a quiet space for me. Unbeknownst to me, two published authors read one of my blog posts on the same day. At that point in time, people used to have like Saturday roundups where they would link to other people, okay? I remember those. Yes, yeah. okay. So uh, a wonderful woman, Shannon Dunlow. She had a blog back then. Back then, you know, we were concerned about internet security. So we nobody <laughs> went by their real name. So she had Shannon at Rocks in My Dryer. So Shannon had this Saturday or Friday roundup of blog posts. So now and then she, she found me somehow and she would include me. So sometimes people found me that way, but mm-hmm. it's not like I was networking in any capacity. Um, so these two authors read one of my blog posts the same day and they both reached out to their agent, unbeknownst to each other, who was the same agent and said, you should reach out to this woman who's writing these blog posts. So he clicked over and he started to read blog posts and he emailed. It was back in the day when Daryl and I had a joint email account, Carrie. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> exactly. So Daryl was in there goes, huh, you have an email from an agent here wondering if you're interested in writing a book. And I laughed and I said, oh, you must have deleted that. That has to be spam. That can't be real. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Daryl said, are you sure? Sure, like, don't you want to check to see if that's legit or not? And I followed Leslie Leyland Fields, mm. who is a was a professor. Um, she may still be a professor at Seattle Pacific University in their um, Masters of Fine Arts Writing program. And um, she had six kids, like I had six wow. kids. She was from Alaska. Her husband was a fisherman, like my husband was a farmer. We both kind of lived in the backside of the wilderness. And she, be- Leslie's a beautiful writer, so I had followed her online. So I reached out to Leslie and said, "Hey, do you know this name of this person?" Is he really an agent? And she said, yes, Dan. Mm. He's really an agent. You should go ahead and respond. So I did I did respond, and we got on the phone. I remember, Carrie, my heart was beating so loudly. I was so nervous and scared. And um, I said to him, well, you know, I have little kids. Um, I'm just not sure if it's a good fit. And, but it was Daryl who said, you know, if the Lord opened a door that you weren't knocking on, I think we should walk through that door until the Lord closes it. And that is how I came to book writing, Harry. No way. Okay. And this is like if you've been to the farm, and yeah. I know 99.9% of people have listening haven't been, been to, the, to farm. the farm. It's a real farm. Yes. But like you barely had internet. Like yes. it's a dirt road, right? At, at, and at one point in the last, well, actually it's not that long ago, four or five years ago, for some reason we things shifted and we ended up in a pocket and you could not get internet no matter what we did. So I said to Daryl, like, this is like if I took your combine away and you couldn't harvest your right. crop. Yeah. Like, go, I get, go to 900 <laughs> acres, have yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, we can't do this. So Daryl actually, so we have put up a huge tower with a dish at the top that has to be brought in from that, you know, Kurtzville is a little town that we can see, yeah, yeah. that has to come across that way. Because we couldn't get, no matter, we had service providers come out and they said, like, you're just in a dead spot. So it has been a very challenging. <laughs> Elon Musk but will see, rescue you in a well, year Well, see, because we had kids who were taking <laughs> online classes, homeschooling yeah. for their high school. And not a word of a lie, I had kids who sat on top of the barn roof, Gary, to try to get internet for their classes. So That's something fantastic. had to change, Gary. Something That's had fantastic. to change. So you get this book contract. Yeah. It's with Zondervan. Yeah. 
It's a modest book contract. Very small. Very, very small. small. And at, I all, I'd never had known how many people read the blog. Right. Zondervan needed to see analytics after they signed me, which they took a huge risk. I was a farmer's wife in Canada. The only yeah. other blogger at that point that had published a book in the CBA that was what was John Acuff. Oh, yeah. Was it just had gone before me, but nobody else. So they really didn't know if it could translate from blog to book. Yeah, uh, the Christian Book Association. Okay, got so it. So not got ABA, it. Yeah. but the And that CBA. was probably stuff Christians like. Yes, around exactly. The same era. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they, they were taking a huge risk yeah. and they checked analytics on the blog and I had. 800 readers a day, Gary. <laughs> right? Oh, How? Thank you for sharing that. 800. 800. That so what did it. they do? Did they get cold feet? Did they? Not at all. Wow. They just said, we believe in what you've written. <laughs> Actually, it was Tan. It was, um, oh, I'm going to miss his name. Oh, yes, like, thank you. Marty Dance, is that right? Ed Zondervan, who took a huge risk on me. Because I had, like they tell you all the time, you need a platform. Mm-hmm. I had no mm-hmm. platform, Carrie, in any, didn't know anybody, had never spoken anywhere at all. So it was a huge risk for them. And they didn't, they didn't get caught. But I was concerned. How are you going to sell enough books? I knew I had to sell 7,000 books to earn out the advance. And I wow. didn't think we were going to do it. Wow. So you write the book. Yeah. Now, you're an artist. I mean, mm. if people could see this church that we're in mm. right now, the way it is today versus three years ago. You saw it. When yeah. you bought it. I mean, it was beautiful then, but yes, it was old. Yes. And, and you and the family have mm, redone yeah. everything. Yep. It's yep. absolutely gorgeous. Mm. I mean, you're, you, you have an aesthetic to you. I really believe that beauty is irresistible mm. and Christ himself is the ultimate beauty. So whatever we as believers do, how do we... We need to have a standard of excellence that is always about beauty because it's pointing to Christ. Beauty will say that. And us. this was part of who you were yes, long before always, you wrote a book. Always, always. So I remember you telling a story, and if, if you want to reject the question, you can reject oh. the question. But you kind of went back and forth on like cover art for oh, a thousand my, gifts. Yes, and yes. They're like, who, this, this woman with 800 people on her blog a day <laughs> and a small, modest book contract is Very making small. demands. Well, well, okay. Requests? Zondervan was very gracious and kind, and they weren't frustrated. Okay, good. No, they weren't. Zondervan but talk about was the very back and gracious forth, because oh, we have a lot I of first-time think, authors yeah, listening. Yeah, I this think is we must have this. gone through. Oh, Carrie, easily dozens of covers. Hmm. The covers that we were first given were really dark covers. Okay, um, and this is one thousand gifts is about how do you find the way through to joy? Right, and I was very concerned. About the front cover. I had a great agent who, I think if you're going to have an agent, they have to do more than just get you a contract. They need to actually be an advocate and a champion for your vision. Mm. So I had an agent who really, who went about, I am, I am, I don't like to confront in any capacity. Oh, you are so gentle. No, I do not like to Uh confront. Um, But I I wanted a, I wanted a book cover that when you walked into the bookstore and you saw that, you said, oh, I need to pick that up. So, so I'm, I'm, I haven't got the book here. Yeah. That was that the bird's nest. So yes, um, bird's nest was like oh, they had the bird's nest and had had the bird's nest all along, or oh, okay. at least like a third into the process. And they'd gone through everything, and we'd looked at so we'd looked at cherry blossoms and bowls, a lot of cherry blossoms and bowls. <laughs> um, and then they said, oh, there's this one here, but we didn't think you would like it, and they sent it, and I was like, oh, that's it. 
Wow. It was a lady there holding the nest in her hands, which ironically, Carrie, let me say this. Hmm. Danielle Steele ended up switching out a cover of one of her books to that cover after 1000. <laughs> oh, so you were first. You were first to market. There you go. <laughs> Oh. Which is wild because people are walking through going, wait, isn't that 1,000 Gifts? I'm like, no, that's a Danielle Steele cover with the exact same picture on it. Uh-huh. And then your style of writing is oh, so... Oh, yes. Scary. It's, it's, I mean, you know me. I'm the bullet point guy. Yes. You are artistic. You are no, emotional. Well, uh, you tell stories masterfully. Yeah. And you had that from book one. Yeah, let's hope my writing is more accessible now than we were at 1,000 <laughs> Gifts. We what, were, do you, what do you mean by that? Just that... um. The right, I do believe that writing for me is lyrical, mm. that it has a sound to it. Um, so the writing, even though it's prose, it'll be poetic. But that can be a hard entry point, a hard on-ramp for people. So my writing now, I hope it's still lyrical and it's mm. still beautiful, but it's more accessible for someone to pick up and go, okay, I, I have an ear for this already, as opposed to 1,000 Gifts. 1,000 Gifts in lots of ways is even more artistic in a way, but that can that can be. I wondered about that because I've read One Thousand Gifts, yeah. But also reading most of your new book, which yeah. I just got yesterday because right. it's not out yet. <laughs> there you go. Um, you shipped me a copy, which was so <laughs> kind. Um, it feels a little more accessible. Yes, it feels yes. a little less. Yes. Um, floral. Yes. Can I say that word? Yes. Yes. I don't and know I, what to call it. No. Yeah. I, I want accessibility. It's an easy on ramp. Mm. It, that it's you can pick up the book and. You've got an ear for it already. It's not like trying. It's a different jazz. You can t- take time to have an ear for it. I want you to be able to pick up the book, and it might have a bit of jazz to it, but you, you're, you're tracking. But it's still you. It's, it's recognizably still me. It's still me. you, yes. which is interesting. Yes. So you had no idea this was going to be an almost instant New York Times bestseller. Yeah, first week the out of book, the gate. First week out of the mm. gate. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when somebody tells somebody, tells somebody, tells somebody, it tells is. somebody. It is. Right? An incredibly humbling what experience. Happened? What When you heard that news, what happened to you? Oh, laid right low. Hmm. Carrie, no social media. Yeah. I didn't have Facebook. <laughs> I don't even think Instagram existed. Twitter did exist, but it was very, very young. Um there was no marketing plan. There were no pre-order incentives. There was no, it was nothing. Right. We made a, a trailer for it out of photographs, like so still. So there's not like mm. even video footage to make a trailer that was made 12 hours beforehand. I think what happened, um, Dayspring had an online, online site for women called Encourage. And they picked it up as their book club pick, and it was one of their early oh, book club picks. Go. So that yeah. really, and there was a whole community of of women through Dayspring yeah. that rallied around that book. And then it just sort of, well, eventually, as they say in publishing, if people don't tell people, eventually, all the marketing in the world yes, doesn't matter. Yes. You can have a strong launch, but and, the Lord does something only the yeah. Lord can do. You can't, mm. you can't make those things happen. I. We, I mean, you came all the way out here. I live literally live kind of on the backside of the wilderness. Mm-hmm. There was so, and there was no big plan. There, was, God did something that only God could do. So you just have to. But when I got the news, so 
sense that your life maybe had changed in a way you weren't prepared for. Tell but, me about that. That's okay. We have other people in the building. It's fine. We're on location. Um, sometimes God God makes your road in ways that you didn't anticipate hmm. or plan on at all, and you can't change the road. You can't. You want a book to go out into the world. Yeah. But you also kind of want to control how far out into the world it goes. <laughs> and you you can't just like sometimes you can't push it where you want it to go, you also can't pull it back. It just went. It just went. And at times I said to Daryl, why did I write the things I wrote? Mm. They were so vulnerable. It was. And he said, you're writing for an audience of one. And when I write, I really am in a vertical space between me and God. Yeah. And I kind of forgot how what a book where it could go and what could happen. And and I honestly, Carrie, I think maybe I've spent the last 10 years of my life, we're only 11 years out, hmm. not taking ownership for where I am. What do you mean by that? Kind of in denial in lots of ways. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> that I I am I'm a farmer's wife and I'm homeschooling my kids and this is what I'm doing. When I I still I was still writing and I was still gathering with people at different conferences and but not not really stepping into that. It's not like Daryl and I sat down and said, okay, I think Anne's going to have a full-time job. <laughs> I, like, we didn't really... I just think sometimes when you have a significant life change, can you press pause? And it might be time to get into therapy. It might be mm. time to really excavate. Your life has changed. What are you going to do about it now? And I didn't do that, Carrie. Mm. And it was Jenny Allen who said to me, not even quite a year ago, and when are you going to own that this is really your life wow. and start to steward what God has given you? You didn't build it. You didn't intend upon it. I get that, Anne. But God has given it. So what are you going to do with it? And only Jenny could say it to me because uh -huh. I love her so much. And it really was a wake-up call for me. Like Being in denial wasn't stewarding what the Lord had done. And I needed to say, this is the road that He's given us. How do I be a faithful steward? with the ministry for as long as he chooses hmm. that I can just walk in faithfulness and obedience. What parts of sort of your life is it easy to embrace and which parts hmm. are more difficult for you to embrace right now the way it's turned out? Well, the parts that are easy to embrace were always the parts that were easy to embrace. I love dirt underneath my fingernails. I love living on a farm. I love my husband. And a f I mean, I grew up on a farm. He grew up on a farm. My family, back seven generations, are all farmers. Like, I mm. I wanted a farming life. And that's always still to come home to the farm and Daryl and the kids. That's the easy part. Writing, actually. Hmm. Writing is the easy part, but it's a lot easier when you were writing, when you just thought it was just between you and the Lord and anybody who just seems to be randomly passing through the internet. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, 
I feel a, a deep gravity and responsibility with the words, not just um, definitely theologically, but also the more people who read, nobody reads in a vacuum. They bring their own trauma to your words, and they are going to hear your words through their own lens of pain, and it's going to brush up against them in different ways. And I think the day and age that we're in, it's kind of um, a selfie world. We expect every story to be a selfie that mirrors us and our story. And if your story doesn't mirror someone else's story, they, they said that story isn't true. Well, Hmm. it is still a true story, but it doesn't reflect you. So how do we create culture that says all of every story in the world doesn't have to reflect my own experience to be a true story? So just to be really sensitive, I care deeply about the people who who are holding the pages in their hand or who are on the other side of the screen. How do the words that we say, I mean, we follow a God who says He is the Word. The words that we write, they really matter, and they can cut to the quick. And how do I only speak and write words that make souls stronger? So I still love the writing, but I also, it carries deep weight because we're all, everybody's fighting a hard battle. Mm. Nobody needs to be wounded by somebody else's words, and I'm fallible. And I I pray a lot, and I write very slowly. Lots of times I, I say I'm not a writer, I'm a waiter. I will Mm. wait on the Lord, and I will listen, and I will go back over words over and over again. How will this land if I come to the page with a different kind of trauma than I personally come to the page? So writing is is slow for me. The hard part for me, well, you know, Carrie, (laughs) I'm an introvert. Um, Getting on planes and going to speak places, that's always the hardest part for me. that doesn't come easy at all. So I just say, I come with my little loaves and fishes, and between my words and people's hearts, God has to multiply and do what only God can do. And is there a little bit, and again, we can cut this out if you're not comfortable, yeah, but a but, bit of ambivalence. Like I remember walking with you as a friend through writing Waymaker, mm-hmm. there were starts and stops, and it's not going to work. Yeah, and, and I really thought a lot about that. Why were there yeah. starts and stops? And there were starts and stops uh-huh. um, as I wrote the story. I was scared to tell the whole story, Gary. Oh, there you go. I wanted to tell only part of the story. I didn't want to be as vulnerable as I needed to be to tell the whole story. So let's go there. Yeah. Because you and I had a really interesting conversation the other night on the phone when Mm, we were mm, getting ready mm. to talk about what we wanted to talk about. Yes. And the book, I don't want to spoil it, tell Mm. as much as you want, Mm. opens with an incredibly vulnerable story, as did 1,000 Gifts. Yes. Um, and this one's about your wedding day. Yeah. I think the first two chapters are on yes. it. And we're right into the honeymoon suite of Daryl and Anne. You are. That's so vulnerable. Really vulnerable. And this time you think, I would know better. Because I now I know I'm not writing in for an audience. <laughs> a couple of people I know, have bought your I know. Book. Yes. But you know what? Even even with Broken Way, I um I remember standing at uh Book Sunny in Grand Rapids at a bookstore, and I'm starting to tear up, realizing, oh my goodness, all of these people are holding my heart in their hands. What have I done? But I don't think, I don't think real transformation happens apart from vulnerability. And if I want the reader 
to go ahead and um, drop the masks and um, move the barricades between them and a real encounter with God. How am I dropping my mask and my barricade between myself and the reader? Hmm. The reader has to trust. and It's easy to come to a page and say, I have it all together. Yeah. But I actually trust limping leaders. I actually trust somebody who says, like, here are my wounds, and here is how God meant me. Um, and sometimes Waymaker tells stories that, well, we're sitting here a week out from, or less than that, from that Waymaker releasing into the world. And honestly, Carrie, I'm scared. Hmm. I have told incredibly vulnerable stories. Yeah. And people are going to carry my heart in their hands. And I don't know how that's going to be received. But I know I've walked in faithfulness and obedience. I've told the whole story as honestly and as vulnerably as I can. But then I pray that it meets a reader who feels like they're terribly alone. Hmm. I've never messed up. They're saying in their head, I've never messed up. I have never been like everybody else. I've messed up in ways that everybody else hasn't messed up. Hmm. Um, I'm alone with them. Um, I've turned I've turned in a direction I never thought I would turn. I've tried to escape pain in ways I never thought I would try to escape pain. We, we, we walk into community spaces and church spaces wearing our masks like we all have it together and everybody mm-hmm. feels direly alone and isolated. I want you to pick up that book when you're between a rock and a hard place and you feel like there's no way and you're at the bottom of a pit and I'm going to tell you a story where I was at the bottom of a pit and you're not alone. So that, yes, I think, I don't think real writers should have platforms. I think we Mm. should have altars where we come and we lay down ourselves in profound vulnerability and die to self. And for me, this book is is an altar. I am coming naked and in places ashamed. And Mm. I am laying down cruciform to say, here, this is all of my mess, but this is how Jesus met me in it. And I know that I know that I know He is true. And we'll make a way. And when I say make a way, I don't mean anything like a prosperity gospel that will get you from point A to point B, the dream that you want. I mean, He will make a way in the sense that He is the way. He Hmm. makes His way to you at the bottom of the pit. And He makes a way for you to find a home, reside, and abide in Him. And in Him, there is a way through Everything else may fall away, but you are truly, ultimately, soul-safe in Him. Which is an incredible message, but the path is through vulnerability. So you tell some stories about your marriage. I almost made it to the one where, I think that's the one where you almost blew apart your marriage. I did. Can you you talk about that? Like, what what happened? Yeah, I think um, we talked a little bit here, Carrie, about trauma. Yeah. I think... um, we're all carrying trauma from our family of origin. Mm-hmm. We bring them into our marriage. Yeah. All that baggage, all those wounds. So that in um, our regular dialogue and conversation in our marriage, we aren't hearing what our partner is saying. We're hearing mm-hmm. it through trauma. And for me, I write about it 1,000 gifts. My first memory is being four years old, standing at the kitchen sink beside my mother, watching my 18-month-old sister being crushed and killed in front of us in the middle of a farmyard underneath a service vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up terrified that it. you can see people crushed and killed in front of you. Um, by the time I was in grade two, 
I had ulcers by the time I was 16. I was cutting Hmm. by the time I'm 18, 19 at York University. I'm having full-blown panic attacks. I I was motivated by fear. 1,000 Gifts is my journey of how gratitude, you can't simultaneously feel deep fear and gratitude at the same time. Mm. It became my weapon against the dark. Doxology or dark, we all get to choose. Right. But that doesn't mean there still aren't wounds. Daryl um, and I, I write about it in Waymaker. We had a conversation. We were um, bringing home a baby mm. from China, um, adopting a little girl, and... Um, so you're getting stretched. Uh, we had kids in their 20s to a little baby. So we literally are stretching across two decades <laughs> with kids. So I was being pulled in one direction. He was being pulled in another direction. So there's all kinds of stress. We had a conversation and he says, it's just too much, Anne. It's just all too much. Hmm. And I hear that as, I'm too much. Oh. I'm too much. So I'll just, okay, that's fine. I'll just Take myself and I'll make myself small. I'll completely withdraw. I won't tell you anything at all. I will make myself really, really small. I won't be needy. I'll prove to you that I, I, I am not too much and I, I will not be needy or dependent. And relationship is about attachment. Mm. There has to be dependence. Mm-hmm. We have to need each other. We have to be vulnerable. And I was going to prove I didn't need anybody at all. Oh my goodness. And, I write about it in Waymaker. It's James Clear's analogy from Atomic Habits, where he talks about a plane can leave LAX Mm. and only one degree over a period of time and distance, and you don't land in New York City. You land in Washington, D.C. This is really, Waymaker's really telling a story where my one degree at a time, both away from my husband, a turn, and away from God. Oh, I'm not going to journal today. I'll just grab a verse on the fly. Mm. Oh, just a little bit at a time, Carrie. Where you're, you're going through the motions, but you're not really excavating where your soul is. Degree by degree by degree, I found myself somewhere I never thought I would be in mm. a million years. And this really is about um, the intentionality of moment by moment. Where are you headed whether it's a business, whether it's your home, whether it's your soul, everything is location, location, mm. location. Are we? Do we have the intentionality in our life to locate where our soul actually is? And I was moving so fast, mm. not really having a rhythm of life, a way of life, a rule of life, an everyday practice that located where my soul was in relation to God. And if we say we have a relationship with God, where is my soul in relation to Him? That's the distance that actually matters. And I uh, I'm grieved, deeply, deeply grieved how my soul started to drift and wander further and further. I hope, Waymaker, is um is handing people a map and a compass to say you need to stay on the way or you hmm. end up where you never thought you would be. How did you and Daryl move through that season? Because yeah. I know Daryl, and I mean he's just always seems so steady, so well, calm. Thanks be to God that one of us is really <laughs> steady and calm. Um, yeah. But you know what? Yeah. That season uh, was a very quiet season. It mm. was a kind of a a quiet Cold War, really. Hmm where he was very quiet. He's a very quiet person. He is, yeah. And I withdrew and thought, I will be quiet too. Very, wow. very quiet. I will be... Oh, we were very, very kind, very, very polite, but the, no vulnerability. 
and lots of distance. Mm. Um, Waymaker tells the story of us bringing home a little girl from China that we brought through two open-heart surgeries. And in the process, I broke my husband's heart in a thousand ways and ended up in literal heart failure myself. I remember that. Here at the hospital, little country hospital, their version of ICU, with my lungs filling up with fluid, with double pneumonia. I couldn't breathe. My heart was failing, so everything was... And it was really my come-to-Jesus moment. I couldn't sleep for the pain. I was coughing and hacking and couldn't breathe. And like your whole life flashing before your eyes in the hospital, <laughs> um, as you're hooked up to heart monitors and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with your failing heart, where I felt like my life was failing, Carrie. Mm. Um, I realized, you know what? Sometimes you think you think you want to live a life where you're guarded. Instead of living cruciform with your arms outstretched, you live with your arms crossed in front of your chest. I will live guarded. Mm. I will self-preserve. And my self-preservation to protect myself, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me, Daryl included, if you think I'm too much, I will protect myself here. Those shields that we build around ourselves end up being prison cells of isolation mm. and aloneness. And I ended up calling Daryl at 4 a.m. from the hospital to say, I need you to come. Mm. And I need to be really honest about where I'm at, where my head's at, where my heart's at, the narrative and the, what's been going on in my head for the last... 12 to 18 months, and I need to get really vulnerable and let him into the pain. And I, I think um, I think Waymaker is about finding the way to the life you've always dreamed of. We was, think, we think yeah. the way forward is to some paradise out there, but really the way to the life we always dreamed of is intimacy because we want mm. connection with someone else. That's really what we're all looking for is deep mm. connection. And you can't get to intimacy without vulnerability. So it was really about Daryl showing up at the hospital and me being really vulnerable about if all of life turns on the turn, I have not been turning towards you at all. I've been turning in all kinds of other ways to take care of myself and not turning towards you. Wow. What was, to the extent you're comfortable sharing, going through your head through those 12 to 18 months? Because I think almost anybody who's been in a long-term relationship has been there, where you have a season of a Cold War, or... It's polite and kind, but oh, carry the distance. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's going through my head? I think what's going through my head is... If really human beings are made for intimacy, if we're made for deep attachment with someone else, that means we have to be dependent upon someone else, which means we have to trust someone else, yeah. which means we have to be, need is not something to be ashamed of. All we really need, I think it's Timothy Keller says, all we really need is need. Hmm. Needing God and needing people attaches us. I think for those 12 to 18 months, I was bound and determined to prove I don't need you or anybody. I can take care of myself just fine and dandy, thank you. And that sounds like you're being an adult. <laughs> but if once you take need out of a relationship, you don't have dependence. And if you don't have a dependence, you don't have attachment. There's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Well, you know, I would have said that isn't one of my problems, but I bet you that's one of my problems too. Well, I feel like I don't want to need anybody. 
that is where I lived for 12 mm. to 18 months. Mm. If you don't need anybody, you don't have to turn towards anybody. And if you don't turn towards anybody, you're not actually connecting with anybody or mm. letting anybody else in to your pain points either. So if we don't, if we don't need anybody, we're not connected and we end up terribly alone. So let me let me try to connect some dots here. Yeah. And I you think do I heard... so well, Carrie. <laughs> I don't know. It's true. I don't know. Uh, vulnerability. Yeah. Is that a necessary piece in connection? A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand so, percent. Which ultimately is, we ultimately the dream we're looking for is intimacy. You can't get there without vulnerability, mm-hmm. which means you're going to have to live a life of cruciformity, living shaped and formed like a cross, not with my arms crossed in front of me, self-preserving, self-protecting, taking care of me. You're going to have to live with your arms outstretched, the posture of the cross, reaching towards God and people, not protecting yourself, living with your heart so vulnerable, someone could really break it. And every leader listening is going, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it leads to the deeply fulfilling life. It looks, vulnerability looks like a valley. It looks like, oh, I have to go deeper. But in that valley, roads are built through valleys. They're not built (laughs) on mountaintops. So if you want the way through, accept that there's going to be Gethsemanes, accept Uh that there's going to be valleys, but we don't get to resurrection. We don't get to new life and recreation without going through the valleys and the Gethsemanes. And I think we make her so much is about, I bought the lie, Carrie, that there was a way through life where I could avoid picking up a cross, that I could mm. avoid suffering, that there was there was a ba- bypass, a do- detour, that the good people had all figured out to get through life without suffering, and realizing that the way of Jesus is a Via Doloroso. There is going to be pain and suffering, but trust that what is in the way is making the way mm. to a far more meaningful life, that the obstacle is ultimately the miracle. The obstacle in your way will be used as a miracle to transform your life. Wow. And vulnerability. We were talking the other night on the phone about yes. your opening chapters yes. where, and I don't want to spoil it, yeah, but it but basically, if, if I've got it right, it was an unconsummated honeymoon. And you say it right there in black right. and white. Yes. You say it right there yes. in black and white. Yes. And you're crying in the shower, yep. and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know whether I should <laughs> Here he's know going, this." Anne, what are you doing? I'm Anne? like, Anne, Anne, I don't know that I should know this. Like, but it's in print, and it and is. It is. That's why I'm scared. And Carrie. do you remember what you said to me? You said something. Do women? Mm. Do you remember that? Do yeah. you want to go there? Oh, I thought it was such a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Am I going to say it the same way I said it on the phone, but Carrie? But do women? Do women? Um, we come to the page with a deeper vulnerability yes, and a deeper sense of self-deprecation, that that is our street cred, our credibility is our vulnerability mm. in ways that men get to come to the page and their credibility is their authority. Yes. Thank you for saying It's that. hard to say that out loud, but I uh-huh. thought a lot about this, Carrie, as yeah. I wrote 1,000 Gifts, Broken Way, Waymaker, there are, and I want to be very clear, I don't regret the vulnerability I've brought to pages. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, why do women have to bring so much vulnerability to the page in a way that men don't? And I also wonder, 
There are things that a man could say on a page that would be accepted theologically that if a woman says on a page, the pushback will be significant. Hmm. I'm not disagreeing with you. And I think that's a really important thing to think about. But I also think, because I interviewed a few months ago your good friend Jenny Allen, and she opens with a similar story. She's written a book about community. So good, so good. And now the prologue or whatever that was is, and now I have all my friends mad at me, and I suck at community, and my book's coming out, and what do I do? And I'm like, you know, I think I would have just called my agent and said, we need to call this off or whatever. But to put that out there... Mm -hmm is, first of all, I think it's a tremendous gift that you bring to the world. Mm -hmm. A -hmm. tremendous gift. And what you just said about vulnerability and not needing anybody, I think I'm going to have to unpack that. I'm going to have to unpack that with Tony. I'm going to have to unpack that with Mm -hmm. a therapist. I'm Mm going to have to Mm -hmm. unpack that. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you kind of caught me there, and I wasn't expecting it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real thing. And I think men see vulnerability, they fear. I don't think they see. I think they fear vulnerability Uh as weakness. Uh Because I've, I've thought... What if I wrote a book like Anne? What if I wrote a book like can Jenny? I, I, yeah. I, I know we're, this is your podcast, and what? I'm not supposed to ask questions. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> but once we sat here in the church, and I got to interview Carrie Muon. You did. We'll link to that. <laughs> so thank you thank for that you. invitation. And uh-huh. why don't men bring the same kind of vulnerability to the page? Hmm. Really fine no. theologians, fine theologians, but I don't know their stories. Like, I know women's stories on the page. And the Jesus we follow, who is the Word, he taught in story. And we know his story. And we know all of his story. He believed, Jesus believed, that the greatest transformation happens through story. That's why he taught in parable. I honestly believe true transformational change. Theology and deep wisdom needs to come into your mind through an envelope of emotion. That's why I write in story. My editor kept coming back and saying, Anne... You've got way too much theology on the page. Where's the story? And I started to push back and go, why do I always have to come in with story? And everyone else gets to just come in straight (sighs) theology or straight didactic, prosaic writing, which is what I want to write. No, 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 no. I really believe, ultimately, that true change happens through a story that you can't forget. And if you embed deep truth within that envelope of emotion, that will change you. So why do women come to the page, Carrie, with such vulnerable stories and men, no, I'm not saying across the board, yeah, I'm yeah. not. But why is that different, Carrie? Well, I'm known as a vulnerable writer and person, but compared to you, compared to Lisa, compared to Jenny, not even close. I think we're afraid. Mm. I think it is mm. much safer to live in our heads mm. than our hearts. Mm. I'll just speak personally. Mm. I don't mm. want to speak for mm. all men. Mm. Ideas are safe. And if you attack, okay, here's this. If you attack my idea... Mm. You don't attack oh, yes. me. Yes. Oh, that's why I'm afraid of this book going on to the ah, world. Okay. Yes. There, there you go, Carrie. If you attack my idea, yeah. you don't really attack me and you don't really yeah. know me because yeah. I can change my mind. Yeah. Um, but to really put yourself out there. And you know what? I don't know that we access those emotions. So let me give you a, a parable, a case study. When you tell a story mm. and Amy's death was... yeah. Really? Decades ago. Yeah. Decades and decades yeah. ago. But yeah. when you tell the story, mm-hmm. all the emotions are there. When you tell the story of your honeymoon, which was 25 years ago, yeah. all the emotions are there. Yeah. Now, I burned out, as you know, in 2006. Mm-hmm. So that's 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I talked about it. Mm-hmm. 
was very emotional, Ann. Mm -hmm. I was in Atlanta in front of a thousand people. Mm -hmm. I could barely get through the talk Mm -hmm. without breaking down. Mm -hmm. And I know I choked up a number Mm -hmm. of times. Mm -hmm. Anybody who was in the room would remember that Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. I had a line of people Mm -hmm. coming Mm -hmm. forward to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And as I've told the story Mm -hmm. year after year, written about it, put Mm -hmm. it in book form Mm -hmm. and didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I tell it now, I don't feel it anymore. Mm And I wish I wish there was a part of I wish I could access those emotions, mm-hmm. but I can't. Mm-hmm. I, or I don't know how. I don't want to say can't. I just don't know how to access those emotions. So I tell the story, but I tell it cerebrally. Mm. And and it connects with people. Yes. Because it's a certain level of vulnerability. Yes. yes. But it's not like that. And and the other thing you do so well, and I've talked about this on the podcast with on numerous episodes, but I say this in sincere admiration. It's not vulnerability from 20 years ago. It's like, I know we were friends when that 18 months happens. I remember when you were in the hospital. Yes. This is like since the last book, yes. this happened. Yes. This could be yesterday on the farm. Yes. This happened. So a lot of guys, if we're vulnerable, we like to talk about what happened oh, totally. 10 I, years ago, yes, five distance, years ago. Give me distance but from now, this because I'm, I'm a different person now. But now I'm amazing. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know exactly. I'm so good, Anne. You yeah. have no idea how good I am at buy my secret yeah. formula. It's a lot harder to tell a story that's pretty that's close. That's current. It's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. So how do you do that? How do you well, work that's through? That's why it's taken so long to tell this story, Carrie. Mm. Do I need? Do I have to, Lord? Do I really have to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the full, honest story. But how does it help somebody who's down in the trenches, who's up against a rock in a hard place, to only tell stories that, hey, I'm I'm 20 years out, and look at me, I got it all together now. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to go, oh wow, you're limping right now? You're you're tender right now. If he is the God who's here with us right now. We also need to have companions on the way, wayfarers on the way with us right now, whose wounds are pretty fresh, who can comfort in a different kind of a way. How do you know? I'm sure you have a story or two you won't tell. Yes. And actually, uh, there was... Yes, there are stories here. I think it's really important for a writer to write all the words. Write all the words. Get them all out. Hmm. And then you have to have discernment to say, okay... I have told this story to the people who need to know the story. If we work this through, I don't need to put all of these stories. It could be Daryl. It could be the kids. It could, it could be, be your, your best spiritual friend, director. Your spiritual it's my director. therapist. It's my com- confessional right. community group. So there, there are people. You need to have wisdom. I please hear me. I bring wise vulnerability to the page and have wise mentors and wise voices around you. Typically, go ahead and say we don't need to share this part. This part has been shared with the people it needs to be shared with. That's such a good word. So where is that line for you? Because I would say if vulnerability was a scale, yeah, and you know, a lot of people live at one or two, it's like, whoops, you know, mm. once I got a parking ticket. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't even count. You're not even on the scale. Okay. And and then and then I would say you live at nine, nine and a half in vulnerability. Mm. And so do many of your friends who've yeah. been on this podcast. Yeah. And I admire that. I think that is a strength and I think it's glorious. Mm-hmm. But this is a question for all the content creators, all the preachers, mm-hmm. all the writers listening. Mm. Mm. How how do you know a story is usable? Do you have a filter? Like for the stuff that made it into Waymaker, how did yeah. you know this story is going out in the world? Well, I think the stories that we tell are never told in vacuum. Every story mm. you tell rubs up against somebody else's story. Right. So 
if you're going to tell a story, you need to make sure the people's the people whose stories yours rubs up against those boundary points are they okay with you telling that story? Right. So everybody so here needs Darryl to Daryl okay. gets a veto. Daryl got a veto. And there were things that I had in that where I'm like, wait, we're going to pull that back. That's not okay for Daryl. Hmm. Um, the story that you're going to tell, is it okay for your grandchildren to read it when you're not here to explain it? Have you explained it mm. enough well enough? The page? Have I landed that plane? I don't know. But that, that was another filter. And I think the third one, which is maybe the most important, is that... Are you in a place of health and wholeness to tell the story? Yes, thank you. Because if you're not, have you done your work with your therapist, your spiritual director, your confessional community, so that, yes, the, the wounds can be fresh and tender, but you are not the same person anymore. You have done hard work. Again, we're five years writing this book. Like it's, it's, I, it took time because I had to change as a person, not as a writer mm. or writing a story. Mm. I needed to do the work, and and for me that looked like that looked like the spiritual director. That looks like therapy. That looked like actually going back to get my master's at Wheaton. Yeah. That looks like what are my rhythms and practices in terms of. Um, I footnoted in the book the source for talking about stress that we feel in our body. We hold that stress in our body. And mm. it becomes toxic and traumatic for us. Is that us. the body keeps the score? It's not the body no. keeps the score. It's another book very similar, but that's the Got exact it. point. Yeah. That, so did I have a rhythm in a way in my life where how many steps am I walking today? How much am I rowing every day to mm. move the stress through? So I'm not, that trauma and toxicity isn't staying in my body. So I needed, the person that lived this story of Waymaker is not the same person who is releasing this story out ah. into the world, okay? So so Waymaker really is about, we are looking for a way through when ultimately what we really need is a, a way of life, mm. a rule of life, a rhythm of life. So my rhythms now, Carrie, my way of life are whole and healthy so that my turns are in the right direction. So I'm attaching to God and people in my life in right, healthy, attached ways. Last week, I went to If Gathering. Yeah. Normally travel for me would mean, oh, I would step out of my normal rhythms, my normal rule and way of life. This time it meant I'm carrying my study Bible with me. Mm. I am taking all four of my journals with me. I am making sure we wake up every morning, and I'm starting with the way of life. It's an acronym throughout Waymaker called SACRED. So I'm starting with a sacred way of life. What does stillness look like? What is attentiveness, cruciformity, revelation, examine, doxology look like? So that I have a way of life. We're going to have obstacles that come up in the way. We're going to have crises. That our default, if we're not careful, is going to turn us in the wrong direction. Hmm. You need a way of life that will turn you in the right direction so that there is way through no matter what happens in your life. I am... It's been really exciting, actually, as, as scared as I am about releasing such vulnerable stories out into the world. My community around me has been people who really know me. Hmm. <laughs> actually, I got an email even yesterday from Elisa Morgan just saying, you know, you are glowing. You are so healthy and whole. Hmm. People in my life saying, like, I have never seen you so vibrant and unafraid, Anne. I am... And I said to Daryl, "Am I have I changed that much?" And, and Daryl said, "Sometimes when we're seeing it cl- up close, we don't see it. people who are have a little bit of right. distance can go. Wow, you your rhythms, your practices have you are not the same. Um, the person who heard too much and shriveled back really small, I'm not the same person anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm far more secure in my attachments. That at base, 
God's love is at base. My family, my relationship with Daryl, that love is going to hold me rock solid regardless of whatever. So I think part of having a sacred rhythm of life, sacred being that acronym E, is examine what are you afraid of. And if I'm honest, Carrie, so much of my life was motivated by fear. I was Hmm. driven by fear. And when you're driven by fear, you'll be driven in the wrong direction. Do you have a rhythm of life? that slows you down with intentionality to say, what am I really afraid of here? I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of shame. I was, I was afraid of being alone and forsaken. And it drove me in directions that were profoundly unhealthy. But if you don't have a rhythm and a practice of life as a leader in your own community, in your own vocational ministry and practices, a way of life that keeps you excavating your soul, you will lose your way. <laughs> If I can pause it one more thing and feel free to change it or whatever. But one of the things I found when you told that story about, you know, shrinking back from Daryl for 12 to 18 months and kind of just getting really quiet and I don't need to depend on anybody. I'm an Enneagram 8, so I'm like, that's my love language. I just, I'm 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 fine. fine. Don't need you. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. fine. Thank you. Everything is, I'm fine. I'm fine. But what you did with it, you didn't just tell the story, you explained why that was inadequate. And I felt in that moment, you helped me. Mm. And Mm. I wonder if Mm. helpful is Mm. a filter that you run stories through. Do you think about that? A thousand percent. And actually, my editor said, oh, this is so interesting working with you. You're not just telling a story. I am constantly thinking about the person on the other side of the screen or the page what is going? I want to throw you a lifeline. Mm. I, I want to hand you a map, not of the way to go, but a map that shows you the way that I went and how circuitous that became and headed in a wrong direction so that you you have a different way that you can go. I think um, telling us, I mean, I think that's the ultimate. All you want to do as a writer is it, it's not about quote unquote success. Success is, was I helpful? All you want to do is, was I truly helpful? And if my inadequacies and the way I failed can help one reader go, oh, there's the epiphany. That I, yeah. Why am I turning this way? Why is my default to um, this direction instead of that direction? If I can help one reader say, oh, I need to be intentional about locating my soul every day so that I am... I know where I am in relation to other people so I can have healthy relationships, then that's success, Gary. See, and I think back to the question of vulnerability and why I want to lead and write with more vulnerability. I do think helpful is good because if it's just like, I'm in a mess, I'm curled up in a ball and my husband and I are bad, that's not, that doesn't help anybody. I think you can be, to be clear, there can be vulnerability porn. Yeah. Okay. There you go. You, you're just like, here. Yep. If I go ahead and splay this naked all over my, here's my whole story, and it's such a mess. Is that really helpful well, to the reader? TMZ right, at that point, right? Yeah. Whatever you share, you're going to only share what's necessary to be helpful to the reader. That you're actually bringing the reader from point A to point B, from rock in a hard place in no way, to that they see their way through to a new way of being. Mm. That's so good. And even in the opening story, you know, 25 years ago, yeah. people go, I'm sure there are people who are like, that was oh, my experience no, too. No, I've had how many pre-readers 
mm-hmm. who came to me and said, oh my goodness, I'm so glad. I never told anybody this story that happened on my honeymoon and how it broke me for the first 15 15- I've had at least three people come and tell me. Wow. Pre- pre-readers. And I don't have a lot of pre-readers. No, you don't have a lot. Who came and said, this was my story and I haven't been able to share that anyway. When you tell your story... What you're hoping to do is destroy shame for somebody else. You there are, you go. You are not alone. You wow. are not alone. And I know we've got people in the next room setting up for a party, a live stream, yes. a launch thing that we're involved in. But I just feel like we got a master class in writing from the master. Oh, no. Thank the, you. The word himself is the master. Yeah, All well, I bring is little loaves master. and fishes. But I really believe writers, we're called to be waiters. Hmm. You will wait so you hear a word, and well, you every writer has to do what waiters do: serve. Hmm. How is your writing serving other people? We are all, we are all limping. We're all in terrible battles, in deep ditches, and rock and hard places. Your writing has to serve somebody who needs to do what the word itself does: throw a lifeline where you are. The book is called Waymaker. Mm. What it's getting dark in here, you know. Yes, we don't have is. light bulbs in here. <laughs> What's the subtitle? Yeah. It's, uh, Waymaker: Finding a Way to the Life You Always Dreamed of. There you go. And Ann Voskamp, uh, thank you for oh. your friendship, Daryl's you know friendship. What? Thank you, Carrie. You are a very vulnerable leader. Hmm. A time, a, a vulnerable leader who is operating at high capacity with tremendous capabilities, and yet you choose, Carrie. To be profoundly vulnerable. I've seen you do it in, in very small places, intimate experiences where you are profoundly vulnerable. I hold you in the highest esteem, Carrie well, Newhoff. Thank you. And, and hold, me, hold me accountable to that. <laughs> and Anne, Tony and I hold I you and Daryl in the Tony. highest love esteem. love you and Tony We're looking so forward much. to getting together and just enjoying some of the summer. Yes. And yes. Uh, for all things Anne Voskamp, annevoskamp.com. Yes. Was that the original blog? No, no. What was it? What was it in 2006? Uh, holy. Well, way back in 2006, it was a holy experience at blogspot.com. And then it was a holyexperience.com for a very long time. Again, Carrie, that's a part of my journey to own annvosscamp.com. This is my story. (laughs) So we can find it there. Anything else you want to tell listeners, leaders? No, just that when you are looking for a way through, maybe what you're ultimately looking for is a new way of life, a way of a new way of life, a rule of life that will lead you into a new way of living, a new way of being. And it's possible to live a sacred way of life that is an exodus out of bondage to true healthy bonding, which is the ultimate dream we're all looking for, bonding into intimacy with God and people. And thank you. I hope this will not be the last time we oh, do this. And... Looking forward to all that's ahead and getting this book, this message, this story out into the world. And uh, thank you so much, Anne. Thank you, Carrie. Well, that was a really special conversation, one years in the making. It's funny, you know, but when you end up becoming friends with someone, it's sort of like, yeah, at some point we have to do the podcast interview. And that took a few years, but I'm glad we finally got around to it. And Anne and Daryl and her family have become good friends of of Tony and mine. And uh, they're just fantastic people. If you want more and uh, you want to check out everything, you can find it in the show notes. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 485. Waymaker is available everywhere. And Ann Voskamp can now be found at annvoskamp.com. So there you go. Now you know the backstory behind that as well. I want to thank our partners for this podcast. You can join more than 2,000 churches who are using GLOO, that's G-L-O-O, to multiply their outreach efforts 
and uh, have more people come to your church. You can try it out by going to glue.us. That's G-L-O-O.us. And Belay would love to get a free copy of their book, Delegate to Elevate in Your Hands. Here's how to do it. Just text the word CARRY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. That's CARRY to 55123. We have got quite a killer lineup coming up for you. Uh, I have been told over the last few months about a book called 4,000 Weeks. It is burning up the Amazon charts. And uh, reached out to Oliver Berkman, the author. It's about time management for mere mortals. And he said, yeah, let's jump on uh, an interview. It was fascinating. Here's an excerpt. The problem that I have with all of this advice, or at least with the way that I think people use it, I don't think the individual productivity writers are always at fault here necessarily. There's this kind of, they will talk about the fact that you can't do everything. They will talk about the fact that you've got to make choices, but there is very often this kind of backdoor um, or unspoken hope that you can actually use this most recent shiniest system to kind of avoid having to confront the consequences of being a finite human with limited time. So that's next time on the podcast. If you subscribe, you get it automatically. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes, please leave a rating and review. Love to see some more ratings and reviews. We're kind of, well, not stalled out on that, but after 21 million downloads, uh, hey, if you've enjoyed this, let the world know. We would appreciate that. Also coming up, we've got Dave Ramsey, Shauna Nequest, uh, Ramit Sethi, just booked him, Daniel Pink, uh, Chris Bale, Andy Stanley, um, Susan Kane, and so many others. Vanessa Van Edwards just signed on to the podcast. Uh, we got a pretty killer lineup. And again, if you subscribe, you never miss any of that. And if you like this episode, well, we are over at the Art of Leadership Academy these days. And it's something brand new that we just launched at the beginning of March. Would love to have you, whether you're a business leader or a church leader, check it out. You can go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. What is it? Well, here's what it is. It's all of my courses. That's right. Everything I've ever done in premium courses is there. We used to charge a la carte for that. Nope. They're all included in the academy. We also have a, an amazing community. We're a few weeks into building that community now. We have hundreds of leaders from across America, Canada, and around the world, business leaders, church leaders who are connecting with each other. And it has a really premium feel to it. Um, we we're tired of the dialogue online. We're still online. It's good. But you know how it is when you get the troll who kind of ruins everything or the person who writes in all caps, none of that inside the Art of Leadership Academy. And so many people are leading incredible things. And if you want to learn from mentors, I have a faculty of about 40 people, some of the top leaders I know. You will hear from Derwin Gray, Nona Jones, uh, Cheyenne Skeldon, Grant Skeldon, Joey and Christy Spears, Alejandro Reyes. Uh, who else is in there? Frank Beeler, um, well, so many others. Katie Cole. They're there to mentor you, and then you can learn from world-class peers. I also do some monthly coaching, and we do monthly team training for your team. Just press play on a video, or we give you the notes so you can teach it yourself, so your staff get better too. All of that is included, are you ready for this, for $397 a year. So if you're interested in all of my on-demand courses, monthly live coaching hosted by me, monthly staff training, and a community of top-tier leaders. Oh, and I'm active in the Academy as well. We can connect and have a conversation. Go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. Sign up today. Would love to see you inside that. 
Thank you so much for listening, everybody. It's a joy to be able to do this with you. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.